There are a lot of great practices that have been established in B2B sales and B2B sales operations. What happens is when those practices start to really solidify, they can accidentally become barriers that limit our thinking. And so what was once best practice becomes common practice. But common practice isn't always best practice. As the space continues to evolve and best practices evolve more slowly, or common practices, I should say, are evolving more slowly, who are those folks that are on the edge of the best practices trying to redefine the next version of what good looks like? This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement, and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Michael Hanna, who is Senior Director of Revenue Operations at Clio, and from my research, has over 15 years experience in the sales ops game. Michael, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. Was I accurate with the 15 years? Uh, yeah, it depends on if you count my UPS days, uh, which they in, mm. sale, in sales compensation, which I think is part of sales ops. So you could call it 18 uh, 18 years, but um, either way, it's enough years to uh, have learned a couple of things the hard way. <laughs> and so straight from university, were you like, yes, I know what I want to be doing. I want to be supporting sales reps to, to grow organizations. Absolutely not. No, I was not that guy that when I was a kid, I wanted to be either an astronaut or a fireman or a revenue operations leader for B2B SaaS companies. That was not me. Uh, I didn't know it even existed. I kind of stumbled into it by accident, fell in love, and stayed in the game. And so that with that first role at UPS, that was the stumble. Uh, that was the the stumble that led to the stumble. So um, I started at UPS in uh, industrial engineering, um, coding geographic information systems. So just mapping to optimize package routes. Um, from my expertise in data, that's what led me into sales compensation at UPS. And that was enough to open the door for my first true sales operations job at Eloqua, which is now the Oracle Marketing Cloud, back when they were four sales reps um, and marketing automation was still becoming a thing. Uh, and that was at Eloqua where I really fell in love with the combination of software as a service, as a business model, as well as sales operations as a practice. And so for the last few roles, you've been combining those two passions to grow these businesses, notably um, senior revenue operations leader, Shopify Plus, 
That yeah. must have been an interesting journey. Um, I would love to, because if we could focus in on that experience if possible, I, I assume the growth that Shopify Plus went through during that approximately two years you were at the business was pretty incredible. Um, well, were there any learnings from like scaling with an organization like that? <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a, there were a ton of learnings. I mean, at the time, um, Shopify Plus was the only part of the organization that really had a commercial facing team, an actual B two B sales cycle, um, and and the dedicated functions behind that. So, um, this this revenue operations team was really the first kind of revenue operations. Um, or get Shopify, which is which is now a much broader function. Um, so it was a little bit of like, almost like the B two B trying to live in a B two C ish kind of world. <laughs> um, which you know, Shopify because they have such a solid product is a very product driven company, and and you know a lot of the kind of the product sells itself in a lot of ways. But when you get more into the enterprise sales space, um, that wasn't the case, and so it was a different paradigm. Um, and, you know, but I think there were some, okay, there are a lot of great practices that have been established in B2B sales and B2B sales operations. What happens is when those practices start to really solidify, they can accidentally become barriers that limit our thinking. Um, and so what was once best practice becomes common practice. But common practice isn't always best practice. As the space continues to evolve and best practices evolve more slowly, or common practices, I should say, are evolving more slowly, who are those folks that are on the edge of the best practices trying to redefine the next version of what good looks like? And so I found that at Shopify, um, being playing this B2B space in Shopify, which is... Um, in their DNA, innovative by nature and self-disrupting by nature, it gave an excellent opportunity and space to be able to um, practice fresh ways of thinking, fresh approaches that weren't um, limited by the expectations of best practices because it wasn't a B2B world to begin with. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's almost like you had a fresh, I don't want to say like a, a fresh slate to, to, to work with. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I, I also want to go like looking at all 15 years of experience. This might be a tricky question, but I want to search for, for one like new initiative, a new process uh, that you implemented that had the most surprisingly, or actually the most surprising result, whether that was to the upside or to the downside, probably to the upside. Let's, let's, uh, let's keep this positive. I love the question. Um, three things. Um, the first was when it, when it comes to sales compensation. I had a habit of going into my own corner, designing sales compensation plans that I thought were absolutely brilliant, deploying them and having them met with a ton of resistance. What I, what I learned through that, which felt very, very risky at the time, but now I see as a much safer approach, is to actually um, survey our sales reps and seek their input and their feedback on the current compensation plans. Now, you got to do that in a wise way. You can't just be like, do you like your plan? What would you like us to change? That's not going to work. <laughs> but what, what, what it, the way that we did it was to hone in on very specific areas of curiosity and frame them in exactly that way. For example, 
um, perhaps we have a bonus component that is meant specifically to drive a particular behavior. The question then is, does this bonus component inspire you to perform this behavior? Why, why not? And then you can phrase the question, what structures could potentially help drive that intended outcome? And so getting very specific and focused. So getting feedback on compensation and how reps want to get paid um, was, um, was an interesting learning and worked much better and gave them a sense of ownership over the next iteration. The second thing was when it comes to change management. In sales operations, we are constantly asking sales reps to change their habits. That is hard when you want to, let alone when you're being told to. And so um, from a change management standpoint, the thing that I learned um, that has worked really well is to tell them what's going to suck when the change comes. Actually tell them this is going to be uncomfortable. You're going to go through these stages. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to feel uncomfortable. In fact, it may feel more like a disruption than a support at first. But here's the vision. Here's where it's going to lead to. Let's walk through it together and let's keep the feedback going in both directions as we go through that. Uh, And then the third thing um, is really to um, make sure you're blocking off time to do ride-alongs, to conduct observations. Don't ever think you really know what's up. Um, Things are always changing so quickly. By the time you're smart, you're dumb again. You need to always get in the trenches and not... There's a huge difference between having a meeting and having someone tell me about what their problem is versus watching them do their job and seeing the problem in action. And what you want to do is always see the problem in action. Um... Um, which will help you really devise more relevant solutions. So those are kind of the three three surprises along the way that I learned through some trial and error. Seeing the problem in action, getting feedback from sales reps on compensation plans, and then also, oh yeah, informing reps how bad it may be when a new change comes. Beautiful. And on that, I'm going to bring in our co-host, Alex, to go a little bit deeper. Thanks, Tom. Um, thanks, Michael. Some really interesting points there. And I think I'm going to hone in on what I thought the most interesting one was. Um, and, and we'll see how far we go with it and whether we get to anything else. But I just loved your explanation of why best practices become common practices, become no longer best practices. And I just thought that is such a true thing, isn't it? We're all learning. And, and once by the time we all figure out this thing works really well, it's probably not the best anymore. In fact, I'm a bit behind the curve. I was reading Predictable Revenue um, the yes. last few few days. And to be honest, it's not that great because it's so much been the done thing. It's now it's now not revolutionary anymore. But like <laughs> you've got to be realistic. He, he, you know, he wrote he wrote the playbook that we've now all taken on and, and Absolutely. Um, and so easy again, particularly when you stay when you stay in a business for a while to get stuck in the, the same way of thinking of the company, let alone the, the space. So I would love to know if you've got any suggestions of where you found some what might be considered best practices that maybe aren't best practices anymore, any ways that you've been, you've been pushing the boundaries in best practice to establish new, um, new and better ones. Honestly, for me, it's more about my network. It's about those genuine relationships of other folks who are in organizations that give some flexibility and have the courage to experiment. Um, one thing, for example, that I've been wanting to do for years, but haven't yet found the um, found the space. I still hope to, is to uh, eliminate compensation plans altogether. I think a lot of times we want to do what's right for the customer first, 
compensation plans often will work against that. So that's something that, that I often want to experiment because it's all about the quota. It's all about hitting the number, which is absolutely critical. I mean, sales operations is there to enable hitting the number over and over again. Um, but sometimes hitting the number short-term works against hitting the number long-term over and over again. Um, and so for me, it's about learning from others, other professionals, having conversations like this, going deep, sharing our struggles, sharing what we're experimenting with, trading notes. Um, I get a lot more value out of that than the excellent content that's available um, in other places because we get to go deep and we get to really work through the challenges. So for me, that's where that's where I get my key learnings is from other folks in other organizations or former colleagues um, and just kind of trading trading war stories. Great, thank you. That was yeah, no great source to to build up and sustain a network, and hopefully we can be sort of adding to that conversation for people. Um, very interested generally around sales compensation. Actually, it was the next area I was going to go. But um, have you had any thoughts about what, what it might look like a post-sales compensation world, how that <laughs> might go? So just to, to push you a bit, bit further. Yeah, let's go there. All right, so, so let's, let's dream a little bit and imagine, uh, imagine what this could be like. And, and let, let's ignore for a moment, and this is going to be a ridiculous thing to say, but let's ignore for a moment this concept that sales reps are coin-operated. Um, in fact, I would challenge that concept. Uh, I think it's partially true, but largely incomplete. Um, many factors motivate a salesperson. Um, more and more, folks are joining organizations secondarily to make money, primarily to solve a problem that they care about to have an impact and to recognize their fingerprints on that impact. Well, what happens when you're faced with a situation where you can do right by the prospect or the customer um, and it doesn't immediately materialize into revenue? Removing the concept of a quota and something to lose by not hitting that quota. I know we all try to position it as something to gain by hitting the quota, but really it's viewed as something to lose in most cases. Um, liberates that individual to focus purely on doing right by the customer, serving them well. And the natural byproduct of that will be the revenue. And so a lot of times what we do is we put them in a situation where the customer is a means to an end. I don't fault the salesperson for that. That is the natural result of our structures that we put forward. We ask them to do that. We assume that of them when we hire them. Uh, and so, what what would happen if we gave them that greater degree of flexibility and left enough time and space to allow them to retrain or hired folks out of the blue so they don't have to unlearn and relearn things, um, but really just give them the freedom and flexibility to serve the customer well? What would happen from a revenue standpoint long-term? 18 months after that decision is made, how will things look? The thing that makes that difficult is it decouples it from so many other critical operational practices. You know, if you're in finance, for example, well, then how are we going to hold them accountable? How are we going to be able to draw that back? How does that work for, for forecasting? Um, so there's, there are a lot of implications, but I think, I think it's something that given the right context, um, I think deserves to be experimented with. Yeah, thank you. That was a really, I think, really eloquent way of putting that, that vision. And it, 
it made me think as well. You know, you said you're, you know, you get you constantly end up redoing the the compline apps on your observations. So you know, ask the salespeople what they want. And but part of the reason you constantly end up redoing is it's never quite right, and you're never quite serving the customer or or bringing in the ideal prospect, the the customers that really need you that will provide that LTV over over time. And yeah, maybe the problem isn't you just haven't got it right this time. Maybe the problem, as you said, is more more fundamental. Um, and there's an immediate tangi- tangible benefit that comes with it, which is it eliminates the distraction of all the administration that a sales rep spends trying to manage to a number, trying to valid verify their compensation plan, trying to play the tug of war with their other sales reps to make sure they get the proper credit, splitting deal. All of that stuff literally goes away and gets exchanged for customer facing time. Yeah, and and things like you know pushing to. The always the always month end discount that's that's there every month, but you know you need to try and push back. Absolutely, you know, just allowing things to go their own time actually could result in less discounting, more profit for the business because you're you're selling there. And it, it reminds me a bit of something that I've been looking at, you know, um, recently. And, and a big thing that we we sort of we help with is sort of idea of pipeline coverage. And you know, obviously you're not going to close all your business, so maintaining coverage and and there's sort of the natural incentive then is for reps to keep dead deals in their pipeline to maintain pipeline coverage and yes. and that's not what you want and and it's a you know it's a good idea it makes sense if you know if, if your revenue equals your quota that's that's not you're not going to get you're not going to hit it but at the same time it doesn't incentivize the right behavior and, and removing some of that burden and yeah as you said we try and position it as a positive thing but some of the fear that comes with i'm i'm behind quota i'm not going to make it i didn't make it last month well actually you may have a couple of great deals and they're going to take some time but they're going to pay off and just yeah, I, I thought a really interesting philosophy. So hopefully, if not you, Mike, someone else gets the the space to, sure. to well, try others it have and share. Apparently. It. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm not the only one who's had this idea, and, and in fact, others have tried it. And I'd I'd love to, if you're listening to this podcast and you're one of those folks, I'd love to learn from you. And um, <laughs> you know, Alex, Tom, if you find someone and even dedicate something to someone who's actually been there, done that, and shared those lessons learned, I'd be very, very interested in that. Yeah. Great. The other thing that struck me from the beginning, and I love the way you put it, you know, you didn't dream of being an astronaut and in, in sales ops, is um, then comes to the thing of hiring talent, essentially. And and given you're right, you know, <laughs> we all have to explain what we do to, you know, family and friends, etc. And it's, it's not a great, a great easy story at the barbecue, right? So um, no one, obviously no one dreams of of this. How, 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 any tips on how you go find talent and build out a team? What, where, where do you go looking what a perfect question. One of the things that I love about sales operations is that you can hire talent from so many different disciplines. And then folks can grow through sales operations to so many different disciplines. Um, and so it really depends on on the specific role and what you're after. Um, I think most roles in sales ops, depending on what stage of maturity your team is in, it, um, is either a specialist role or a generalist role. And usually very much so in one direction or the other. For example, um, I may need someone who um, is deep on analytics. I may need someone who's deep on data management. Or I may have the sales ops generalist who will oversee the forecasts, maintain our CRM system, and you know design processes and try to improve workflows and all of that. Um, so I think that's the first question. Is this a specialist role or is this a, general, a generalist role? If specialist, then I look in two areas. Either someone who has 
of course, been there, done that, done the exact thing in another place before or multiple other places before, or who's just actually just learned the technical skills in some other discipline, but can come into the organization. If it's a generalist role, um, I actually lead with passion and soft skills first. Because the technical skills can be learned in any formal way or through practice. Um, but the soft skills will often speak to the DNA of an individual. Um, and I look for that. I look for coachability. Um, when I'm architecting a team, a sales ops team, it's not just about the sum of every individual. In other words, the best person, if I have a 10-person sales ops team, for example, the best individual for all 10 roles doesn't necessarily equal the best sales ops team of 10. So what I would look for then is what does that mix a specialist, generalist? Do I have, and especially as it pertains to the soft skills, where do folks fill each other's gaps? And do they have the humility that it'll take to raise their hand and say, I suck in this area, you're awesome in this area, can I pick your brain? And I want to build a team that's going to create that kind of synergy um, and so I'll look for the combination. I'll often look for what's in the job description, but I'll also look at from a soft skill standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, where do we need to challenge ourselves a little more? Where do we need to bring in fresh perspective and fresh thinking? If I'm just trying to hire 10 people that look like me, there's not going to be a lot of net new value. Thank you. That was yeah, really, really helpful. I, I've just, I've been seeing the power brought someone new into our team and how they've, they've got complementary skill sets. And not only does that make a great team, but it means that they end up training each other and, and you, yes. you see them skilling each other. They, they, you know, you can learn and it reduces that, that sort of burden as you always get when you bring new hires on of the, the decrease in productivity you have to help them ramp up um, because actually that burden gets split out among, among many. And, um, and it's wonderful, as you said, to see where a team of may not be the best, you know, five, 10, whatever individuals, but the, the, the function of the team becomes, you know, incredibly powerful. Um, that's incredible. Great. I think it's time, for Tom, for you to rejoin us. Yes. Thank you for that little masterclass. Um, Michael, time for the most important question. Who in the world of sales ops would you most like to take for lunch? Oh, boy. I would love to take for lunch. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally, maybe this is a cop-out, but it's, this, it's an authentic answer. I would love to take for lunch the first person that used to report to me that I now report to. I would love to be able to say that I've inspired a leader to be someone who's going to surpass me in such an undeniable way. And I'd love to learn about their story. It's a beautiful answer. Um, so, and I, it took me a while to, to get to it in my head, but it's someone who used to manage that now has uh, like, not surpassed you, but has gone far in their career. Um, yes. I think that's a, that's definitely the not cop out, Michael. That's a wonderful answer. Um, are you allowed to share any names? Am I allowed to share any names? Um, I'll be honest. I don't have specific names that come to mind, uh, and that's a good thing because I don't feel like there's anyone in the world of sales ops that's not doesn't make themselves accessible. That's such a celebrity that that they're not willing to share, that they're not willing to chat. I feel like there's there's enough of a sense of community in in sales ops um, that. Um, that folks are all are all accessible, so I don't feel like there's this unreachable celebrity that I mm. I dream of meeting. Again, wonderful answer, Michael. It's clear that we've been speaking with someone with a uh, ex- uh, serious experience and skill set in this world. Wonderfully eloquent, 
almost poetic at times answers. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on and sharing um, all of your wisdom with the audience. Well, thanks for the opportunity and thanks for all the other speakers that you bring on that we can learn from. Really appreciate what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified Podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.